Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm Mitch Simon, your co-host on the West Coast. And on the East Coast, my lovely co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Jeez. A long, long name. But today, today on the podcast, we have a gentleman on the West Coast. Actually, just a few miles up uh, the coast from me. Today on the podcast, we have the New York Times bestselling author of The Lean Entrepreneur, Brant Cooper. Now, Brant releases his new book, Disruption Proof, on October 26th. So as we are recording this, that is just a few weeks away. And, And Disruption Proof will give readers a refreshing new approach to navigate pervasive uncertainty. When Brand isn't writing books, he's out helping leaders navigate the uncertainty brought on by increased complexity and endless disruption, which is kind of like every single day now. So welcome, Brand. <laughs> Thank welcome. you. Thank you so much, Mitch. Good Jenny, to see you. Me. you are, yes, yes. It's so great to have you. Um, you can't see Brand, but he looks like he lives in San Diego because he's <laughs> so relaxed. I know. It's great. Oh, disruption, chaos, whatever. <laughs> have a fish taco. So, um. But I do have a serious question, Brent. What has been the most disruptive thing that you have experienced personally over the last year? Well, I mean, it just, well, to be honest, wow, it's a bigger question than I even thought. To be honest, in, in March, I was diagnosed with uh, esophageal cancer. Oh, my God. So that, oh, wow. that came out of the blue and it, you know, it turned out that uh, I wrote the book and, and spent all of COVID obviously also developing cancer unbeknownst to myself, though I didn't feel great. And I just thought it was, I actually thought it was the pandemic. You know, I'm an introvert and, but even me locked indoors, it was a tough year. And, uh, and, and so, uh, but to answer your question, the most shocking thing then was in March to discover that the discomfort that I was having was actually stage three cancer. Oh my God. And, and? Oh, well, so, uh, uh, went through the chemo and the radiation, uh, just actually had a, uh, endoscopy Friday. The tumor is gone, uh, biopsy results pending, but oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So happy to be able to report that it's completely obliterated. Um, it's, uh, interesting. I don't know if we'll have time to dive into it, but I was, uh, being cared by scripts when they got hit by the ransomware attack. Another example oh, of wow. disruption, and it was really pretty incredible. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that story. That is unbelievable. And as a reminder of, you know, this this total whole of our lives and how everything is connected. Well, I think it's also, you know, I'm going to admit straight up here that I am a very I very fortunate individual. I'm a privileged uh, white male here in in San Diego County, and it was interesting to navigate the healthcare system over a serious issue like this. And uh, it's just quite apparent uh, how much we have to advocate for ourselves in this healthcare system. Which isn't to say, I mean, all of the people that I encountered, the nurses, the doctors the front office people, all of them were absolutely great, amazing in dealing with the disruption of their hospital systems being down. So absolutely incredible experience from a people point of view. Um, but navigating 
the system itself is is very difficult. I'm, I'm fortunate I have a sister who's a cardiologist, so you have a doctor in the family. Uh, yes. It's, it's actually like amazing. Um, but I've also, you know, gone out and read the research and, and became an advocate for myself and, and uh, positively affected my care doing that. And that is just not, that's just not available to everybody. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately it isn't. Um, yeah, that's why I, one of my kids is a doctor. So that uh, when I get old, when I get old, yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Mike, so I'm, you I'm planned so, that a long time ago. I did that's correct, that. they did. The doctor is a doctor. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'd like to know is, and it's great that that, that is, um, that, that is, 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 um, is, is solved. Um, why have you, there's a lot of things you could spend your whole life on. Why have you spent your whole career focused on disruption? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I guess, um, I guess, you know, there's some people, I, I'm, I'm guessing you two have this mindset too, that you, you actually think it's a responsibility to improve things. And so I think, uh, obviously, I think the country is great. I think capitalism is great. I think capitalism is, has proven that it's the best way to solve problems. Uh, but I also think it's pretty obvious that we can make things better. And so I think that especially, uh, you know, I'm by no means wealthy, but, uh, you know, somebody that grows up in my circumstances, I think that it's my duty and my purpose in life to create value for other people. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I, it's, I don't know, maybe it's an ethos, you know, built into me through my, my genes and my parents. But I think that we can create virtuous cycles if what we believe is our purpose is to improve, create value for other people. It creates a, you know, a, a place that we all want to, to, to be in, a place we all want to live in. And, and I think actually a vast majority of people, you know, I, I think that that's what they want is to live meaningful lives. Thank you. Thank you. Now, now, uh, Jeannie and I started this podcast because because of the disruption that was occurring at the beginning of of the pandemic. And what I want to know from your research is why is virtual and hybrid causing so much challenge that that disruption? Why is it causing so much challenge for leaders to get a grip on? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I would have to guess, it's because they're still using their 20th century industrial age mindset. And so they believe that they should know the answers. And so it's a centralized, top-down decision-making process. And, uh, and, and they sort of feel like it's their responsibility. And it just boggles my mind as well. And, and you know, one of the things that I've been sort of ranting about this summer is like, why not go develop empathy for your, for your colleagues, for your workers, for your employees, for your teams? And that empathy doesn't mean that you establish policies that solve all of those or address all of what you learn. You still get to make the choices, but understand, understanding the ramifications of your policies and understanding what the needs and desires and aspirations of your people will give you the opportunity to develop policies that make your employees more contented and, and which has been proven over and over in studies that make them more productive and so I, I think it's just a mindset challenge. 
So you know what I'm hearing you say was kind of kind of cool is um is okay. So leaders have been trained in a in a top down methodology, um, pretty much a a, a certainty based methodology or or, or or mindset. So now what happens is um, yes, there's been uncertainty before. Now we have massive uncertainty, and of course, what was really interesting for Ginny and I is um is that you know over the course of um, our work together for this year is we we thought that we thought again because of our background that okay we're going from uncertainty to, to certainty and yet what's what we found is we've gone from uncertainty to even more uncertainty what would you tell a, a leader manager who you know has been trained in the world of, of certainty that hey dude get a life you got to you got to like let go of this whole certainty thing and come up with something different cuz that seems really hard yeah well i I mean, I think you all probably know better than I do how hard it is. I, I, you know, my focus in my business and otherwise really hasn't been engaging with leaders and trying to teach them new skills. I do when I can, but it's, it's really, my company's always been focused on the behavior uh, at the sort of at the ground level, the front lines, because I think that that's where transformation happens is it's really the behavior at the bottom of the pyramid. You need, you need the top to say, yes, we're going to do that change, but the top-down change programs don't work. It needs to be behavior bottom-up. And so it's, it's, uh, I think it's leadership coaches like, they, it's your job. <laughs> but I mean, I, there's just so many great books out there. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. And, and, I, and I, you know, there's a lot of a great teaching of executives now that they need to be more self-aware, more empathetic, more vulnerable um, you know, you like to say, right, showing up as your authentic self and these type of things are super important. And so I think a lot of these leaders have that message. And I also think they, they believe that there's fundamental change going on. There's just too much turmoil in the world for people not to see that. I think the primary challenge is, is, is helping these people understand how to apply these new skills to their day-to-day work. And I think that's the big challenge. All of the workshops in the world doesn't necessarily get them over that hop of, okay, like here, I've got my team. I've got to hit these numbers. I have to execute, you know, how do I apply these new skills that I believe in? How do I apply them to this work? And I think that's the biggest challenge. How do we? I, so I'm hopeful that I have some ideas in the book. Okay. Let's talk about the book. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's a, it's, there's so much uncertainty that what we want to do is go to the leaders themselves and say, what keeps you up at night? Where do you think the, the, the issues are? Where, where are the, the problems that you're facing, which they often keep bottled up, but you empower the teams to take a certain amount of time. And this is sort of what I would call one of my, one of my five E's. The teams take a certain amount of time of doing exploration work is what I call mm-hmm. it. And they're there to solve for those uncertainties. They're, they're there to solve those needs that leaders are facing that are keeping them up at night. And this can drive near-term impact. So, you know, I work with a lot of innovation groups and I talk to innovation people all the time and they're always complaining about the fact that leaders aren't bought in. And I'm thinking, yeah, leaders are not bought into funding the products that you want to develop that will reap some sort of benefit five, six, seven years down the road. Well, why are they not bought into that? Because they're having trouble today, 
right? And so mm-hmm. take that mindset, that innovation mindset, and apply it to solving near-term issues. It's exploration work, so it requires the leaders to practice these new skills. They can't just manage exploration work. They have to mentor. They have to figure out different uh, metrics, uh, different ways to measure. They need to empower those people to go and develop empathy and run experiments and try to figure out how to solve these near-term problems. And I think that it allows the leaders to practice their new skills while it's allowing teams to practice their new skills. Hopefully it drives near-term impact and people sit back and go, wow, this stuff can actually work. It seems uh, that they have to change the formula around. It's an and, A-N-D answer. Uh, This is an innovative idea. Great. Give me the short-term benefits and the long-term benefits. I think that don't come out of the room until you do. (laughs) Well, I think it's that empowerment part that, listen, I'm going to rely on you, team, to go figure out the solution. And I'm here to remove obstacles for you. I'm here to mentor you. Here's your mission. And here's your guidelines, the guardrails even. Uh, but it's sort of that empowering part um, that allow. Listen, we hire smart people. We, you know, if you give smart people the authority to solve problems, they will solve problems. That's what smart people do, and that's what they want to do. And even that empowerment means that those employees are are able to exercise their intelligence, their creativity, and they are more engaged. They will enjoy their job. They'll look forward to come coming to work. And again, it's a, it's a way to start one of these virtuous cycles. So I think that the biggest hurdle for leaders to empowering their teams to go off and do these things is, is sort of this trust level, whether the teams can do that. Right. So again, before you start letting them go do anything willy-nilly, choose, choose something that would have a near-term impact that's low risk that can start demonstrating the ability of these teams to solve problems. Yeah, you know, um, you know it's so interesting um, Brant is that COVID forced everyone to go home. And of course, the very beginning was, well, you know, can I really trust my employees? And now you have the gall to say, um, we have to really empower with a capital E, um, you know, and you need to like kind of give it away and you need to trust. And it, it really, it goes back to, um, I'm sure uh, all of us have worked with a lot of leaders who as they move up, in their uh, role, um, they quote unquote, don't do anything, right? They, you know, they, they kind of see like, well, wait a minute, I used to do something. I used to get paid to do something. And now you're telling me I need to lead and not do anything. So I would love, love for you to address um, the work that you've done with leaders where you're really asking them to quote unquote, walk away from their job, from their quote unquote, their jobs. Their employees are not in the office, not in the building, maybe not even in the country. So how do you how do you help people take the leap to uh, to really empower when they have not really done that before? Well, I think it's what's interesting is that if you if you talk to those same leaders, what they'll sort of complain about is the amount of time that they have to take managing people and that they are always fighting fires and that they want to be strategic because that's actually how they're going to continue to move up. But they don't have the time to be strategic. Well, suddenly, if you are empowering your teams, so you have a, you're running a department or a division, 
you have to hit these numbers. So you have a mission to accomplish. So your responsibility is allocating the resources, assigning sort of these submissions to all of these different teams. And if they accomplish their missions, our group is going to accomplish our mission. So your responsibility suddenly is a really more around allocating resources in order to meet the priorities that you've been given. So that's that's number one. Suddenly you're strategic. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is, uh, and this is often ignored in large agile implementations, is that there's a completely new communications flow. If you're doing top-down centralized leader, then you're the, you know, you have your megaphone, you're on top of the mountain, and you're sending directives down, right? It's one-way communications. But suddenly, if you're empowering these teams to go and solve problems, to gather insights on, on customers and other stakeholders, and to run experiments and produce data about behavior that you might be able to leverage, your responsibility suddenly is, okay, now I've got this information that's coming from below. I need to aggregate that. I need to make sure that it's still aligned with priorities. I need to now sort of manage up and tell people more senior to me where things look different than what the assumptions were before. Um, So you're really taking a more, uh, again, it's sort of a more dynamic way of managing the business because you're taking the information in from where it's coming from, from the, from the edge of the company. And you're actually then responsible for aggregating it, consolidating and sending this message upwards as well as horizontally across the information or the organization so that the company is able to adapt based upon changing conditions. And so I think it ends up being, you know, rather than fighting fires and managing individuals, you're now responsible for, wow, I'm the one that has all of this data. I understand the context at my level in the organization, and I have a duty and a responsibility to affect the strategy of the business based upon what I know more than what what those above me know. So it's a very, I actually think it's exactly what those people want. So getting them to see that is a challenge, but I think it's exactly what they want. It's to become more strategic. I, I think that many of them do if if they are truly already are um, thinking strategically of folks I find in a lot of our global companies and and even our small entrepreneur companies do think in terms of innovation. I think there what you described <clears throat> requires, however, <laughs> for some a whole new way of what being a leader is. Technically now, I have to aggregate, look for trends, be strategic and tell stories. It's all true. Interpersonally, I have to be showing empathy, cheerleading, um, events, um, uh, acknowledgement, etc. And I may be totally uncomfortable with both of those. So I either learn them, and and the organization is may help me do that, or I am just going to fade into the woodwork. I I, I actually agree with you. So the, the the organizations that we've worked with that have gone further furthest in this journey, the things that you see are leaders opting out, actually leaving the company because this isn't this isn't right for me. A way flatter organization, so mm-hmm. fewer layers of middle management. Uh, and that means that people, that people are gone. So I really do think 
and I, I actually have a tough time advocating for changes that 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 mean that people have to leave the company. There, there's the you know, it's not that all actually happened back in the lean manufacturing days. Yeah, and, yeah, and there, yeah. Are, there are some problems with that, but but in the end. Uh, that's actually where your efficiencies is going to come from and you're actually going to be able to move faster and people, they either sort of adapt or, or move on. I, you know, I'm not sure that there's, I think it happens one way or the other. That's, go ahead. Yeah. I, you know what I, I wanted to, I really, you know, I wanted to get through um, some of the ease. You have these, these <laughs> one, one of my, the ease, cause he's talk, talked about the, right. Jenny talked about the ease. We got to, yes, yes, let's do it. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'd love for you to just share, Brant, um, some of the ease and, and, and how the, how you actually have seen them implemented. Um, right. Okay, so let's start. Uh, empathy. So empathy developing or a deep understanding of our customers or applying it internally for our, our colleagues and, and even people developing empathy for their leadership. So this is, this is a, it's almost a corporate buzzword now. I mean, it's in... Uh, I think Lexus ads, right? People talking about empathy. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it's going out and understanding your customers. It doesn't mean doing what your customers say. It's understanding what they want, why they say what they say, what are their aspirations. And really the goal there is to develop insights because I think more than intellectual property or technology innovation, uh, your competitive advantage is knowing something about your customers that your competitors don't. Uh, so the second E is exploration and exploration is, again, it kind of gets back to vulnerability. It's admitting what you don't know and then seeking to go and figure it out. So it requires a learning mindset. Um, this is very natural to human beings. We're born with a learning mindset. Uh, we don't know how to walk and we don't know how to talk. And then suddenly by the time we're in our corporate corporations, we're like, no, I know everything. Believe me. So it's, uh, <laughs> So it's, uh, you know, going out, running experiments, observing, uh, and, and just out there, listen, we need to maybe find experts, uh, that, that expertise that I don't have. And so, you know, again, it's, it's a little bit of vulnerability there, but that's exploration. Uh, the other E is evidence. So now I'm going to use data and insights to inform my decisions. I'm not, we don't want the data to make the decisions, right? That's where algorithms can run amok and cause, you know, stock market collapses or we sell uh, diet pills to uh, anorexics on Facebook. So we don't want the data to run us, but we need that to inform our decisions. And so oftentimes, uh, even internally, the way you can overcome conflict with colleagues is to agree on experiments and agree on the data that we're going to look at and let that data help us make the the final call. Um, It's way better than just sort of debating around a conference room table. So the fourth E is uh, equilibrium. And so this applies to individuals' lives as well, establishing an equilibrium. But primarily, it's finding this balance between the execution work we know we have to get done and this exploration work that I talk about. So there's a mythology, in my opinion, in the innovation industry, which is this ambidextrous system organization where you know, 95% of your company is supposed to be in execution mode and 5% is in this exploration mode and you're out trying to reinvent banking for 15 years from now. But, you know, were companies actually in execution mode during COVID? No, they had to be in exploration mode again. And so 
It's wherever there's uncertainty. It's a continuum that exists across the, yeah. the organization. If you have a sales force that needs to go figure out a new sales script, that requires understanding customers and experimentation. In other words, it, it requires some amount of exploration. I love, I, I'm just going to interrupt you. I love that idea because that is, that's again, going back to um, the leadership that we're taught, which is, you know, hierarchical, we definitely were taught you should spend five or 10% of your time on the future and 90% just get your, put your head down. And I love that as we're going to get to, you know, how to become disruption proof. Um, <laughs> that's it. Because if you look at, if you look at, you have to really look at how much uncertainty there is. And if there's a ton of, un I'm sure you know this, but if you, there's a ton of uncertainty, then you just need to experiment a whole hell of a lot more. It's That's the right. experiment that I love. Yeah. Yep. I love that piece. All right. I'm sorry for yeah. disrupting you. Our last. No, 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 that's fine. I think we should, we, we can go anywhere with this. Let me just throw out the, the fifth E because I think it's also really super important, not only in the times of COVID and disruptions, but just generally in the digital world. Yeah. And so the fifth E is ethics. And again, I think, you know, just the vast majority of uh, people that we've worked with in, you know, global companies all around the world want to live and behave ethically and they have their own personal morals and values. And yet people have a very, studies again have shown that we have this incredible ability to rationalize our behavior in any given moment if our behavior isn't sort of checked or guard, you know, there are guardrails around it. And I think that the opportunity in, in sort of this framework of empowering people is to include our values in the missions that we're giving teams and individuals. And so we, we need to, we need to go beyond our highfalutin value statements that exist on the website and, and get down to actually establishing what's the behavior that we expect and establishing guardrails and making it part of our daily lives. And again, it's so easy in a digital world to automate this stuff so that we are, you know, it goes beyond, but includes uh, how we handle people's data. But it's just that, you know, the way the systems respond to customers' behaviors can really send us down, I think, dangerous paths. And so I think that we need to build this into how we manage teams. And I think that sort of this agile that I always put in scare quotes is a is a, is sort of a way to do that. Scare quotes. Oh wow! I never <laughs> thought about that. We're learning a lot of stuff today, Jenny. Um, I know. I know. Okay. So your new book, Disruption Proof, releases yes. on October twenty sixth, twenty twenty one. What does the term disruption proof mean? So it's actually using these five E's, which I which I say is sort of the rad mindset. We're going to create a rad organization. Being here in San Diego, we 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 want to create rad organizations, right? Rad. That's totally rad. <laughs> So resilient, uh -huh. aware, and dynamic. Uh -huh. And so what we need to do is build into our structure, into our systems, this ability to be like the, the, the palm tree that bends in the storm but doesn't break, right? So there's a flexibility there but also an awesome strength. And the way to do this is by increasing our perception of the changes that are going on, both with our with our people internally, but also externally, um, and and incorporating that new information. And then finally, the dynamic part is being able to change what we're doing based upon that that new information, which seems 
like obvious, but it's so difficult. And I believe that the very structure of our organizations, which again, to me, is just an extension of the assembly line. It's, it's an industrial age structure is, is what prevents us from having this ability to change what we're doing. Right. So we, we grow up all of these departments based upon a functional expertise and we're executing what we know to be true. And suddenly we're, and we, we create rules of engagement. So the departments are only allowed to talk to each other if they follow these specific rules. We need something from a different department. It just gets laid out onto a calendar based upon resources. And so it's just, you know, I, Nokia has a five-year plan in the year 2005 for the flip phones they're going to manufacture for the next five years. The iPhone comes out in 2007 and takes over the world in 2008. Mm-hmm. 2009, Nokia is still executing their their five-year plan, right? So we yeah, need... I, you know I worked at Nokia. I did not <laughs> know that. Hey, it hurt, okay? Brad, it really hurt. <laughs> well, tell me, am I right? Um, so, yeah, right. You're totally uh, right. You're totally right, yeah. Yeah, so it's the... it's. So I think it's the very structure that, that that causes this. And eventually, it's sort of the last stage, the endure stage uh, in my book, Disruption Proof, is that maybe we allow the structure of the company to change in order that this rad behavior, this rad mindset, the five E's becomes a more natural way of working as opposed to we kind of have to force it right now, right? I mean, it's a couple of your questions already have been around like, wow, this is really hard. How do we make it happen? And it's because we're sort of forcing, you know, a square peg into a round hole right now. And eventually we need to get the, the square hole. So, uh, I, you know, and organizations have done this. A lot of the big tech companies that everybody wants to emulate. And again, in my view, there's some antitrust and some ethical problems there. But in terms of the way they structure and operate, uh, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Spotify, uh, it's really their speed, their agility, what they're able to do is what other companies want to emulate. And it's their structure is different. They don't, they're not all just broken down into these silos. And so I think that we're going to see that ING is the first really large organization that I know that completely restructured their organization to more model that, that, uh, that more dynamic structure. Great. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to check into that, into ING. Um, two last questions. So um, what are the first steps anyone can take to become more disruptive, disruption proof uh, starting today or starting tomorrow? Yeah. So I think it's, it, listen, I think, Companies could actually run a, an impactathon, what I call an impactathon, uh, this weekend if they wanted to. It's really you you get, get, a bunch of impacas, or yeah. no. <laughs> so impactathon is this horrible mashed word of impact and hackathon. So most people are familiar with hackathons, where you pull all these teams together and they build stuff for a couple of days. What I want them to do is get these teams together, and what they do is practice those five E's mm-hmm. over the weekend in service to those challenges that leaders have. And so I, I think that it's, there's a bunch of positives that come out of that. Number one is you find out that you indeed actually have the skill set already in your business. Mm-hmm. Number two, you drive some near term impact. You have the teams practicing this new behavior and the leaders practicing their new behaviors. And that's the sort of thing that, that sort of that epiphany that we can actually do this here um, gets the ball rolling. And so I really think it's, you know, it doesn't have to be as 
I don't know, I guess as formal as a, as an impactathon, but, uh, but I think that, that any leader out there right now could empower a team to help them take out what their obstacles are as a leader and, and demonstrate the same sort of abilities inside the organization. We often get into planning mode, right? We want to dot all the I's and cross all the T's before we get started. And my, the first entrepreneurial thing we can do is just go get started. And then we can take the next step of, okay, now we see what works. Let's double down on that and let's put mm-hmm. some, some structure around the program itself. Yeah, it seems like a lot, a lot more time of just play, experimentation, check things right. out, question your questions. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so well, just like the old Tinker Toy yeah, like experiment, tinker toy. Yeah, marshmallow, right. right? And kids are the ones who have the better models because oh, it fell down. Okay, now what do we do? All right, that fell. Right. And CEOs right. do the worst. Everything <laughs> has to be perfect. Yeah. All right. So, rant. I'm going to ask yes, how can people find you? I know that I could probably have to just like get my car and you're probably like three miles down the road. <laughs> you, can find me at, you can find me at Swami's, Mitch. What's what the problem? You, Swami's, really? <laughs> All right. For those so San Diegans, the rest of you are like, what is Swami's? You're right. For the rest of us who aren't in San Diego, where can we find you? Uh, right. So, you know, I'm Brant Cooper on, on all social media. Uh, my website, brantcooper.com. Um, People can email me, Brant at BrantCooper.com. I will respond to all uh, to all emails. I, I love the conversations around this stuff. Um, we have a, a, a conference coming up. Uh, that's at EndlessDisruption.com. And, uh, you know, I really encourage people to, to reach out. Again, I think that this is... Uh, we're, we're, we're having the right conversations. We need to, we need, we need to start, you know, we need to start moving. Wow. So, so Ginny, not, not disruption, but endless disruption. Oh, there, it's like, when, does, when does the conference end? It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With that, thank you all so much. Thanks for our, our, our listeners. Thank you, Brant. Thank you, Dr. Virginia Bianco. Mathis. You're going to have to stop that. Um, you know, if you love this podcast, which I always do, please um, share this with your friends, your colleagues, your German Shepherd, and um, and give us some stars. Give us five, in fact. Um, but definitely want to get the word out there. Uh, the podcast is growing really fast um, every month over month because um, we have such great speakers and authors like Brant. So next time, uh, we'll see you then. Until then, um, have a great time. And um, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>